This is the Inclusion Solution Live, the Winters Groups podcast for all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am your host, Brittany J. Harris, Vice President of Learning and Innovation, and I am excited to leverage this medium as yet another opportunity to facilitate dialogue, shift perspectives, and empower action in service of equity, justice, and inclusion. This season, we are demystifying internalized oppression. Today, we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, I'm joined by a special guest who who didn't necessarily um, write or uh, write the post that we're going to discuss today, but um, is going to share space, a virtual space with us, and just have some conversation about the um, angry Black woman narrative and archetype. And so if you read it on the blog, I penned the post and thought it'd be a good idea to just talk, to talk it out, reflect a little bit um, with a member of our team. And so without further ado, I'm super excited to have with us today Valda Valbrun. She's a principal strategist on our team, thought leader, coach, consultant, um, leader in the space of educational equity, um, all things Black girl, Black mom, Black woman magic. And I'm just excited to uh, have some discussion and have you on with us, Valda. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's an important topic. I think that we should uh, definitely um, continue to unpack it as Black women. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yes, yes, yes. And so I kind of just gave y'all a quick, quick, um, certainly not even just like a quick cliff notes into Valda and her background. But Valda, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about yourself to our listeners? And maybe even just sharing a little bit about those aspects of your identity that you're bringing to this space that influence who you are and how you show up. Absolutely. So my name is Valda Valbrun. I am a um, career educator. This is my 27th, I believe, year as an educator. Um, and I've, uh, I am um, a daughter of Haitian immigrants, only one born in this country of my siblings. And I think that that has a lot to do with my mm-hmm. identity as an African-American, as a Haitian American, right? As a, you know, um, uh, someone who's, who was raised in a household, you know, of immigrants. Um, so I have, a, have a whole different appreciation for what my experience is like, like in the world. Um, and so um, I bring that to everything that I've done, right? So I've been a classroom teacher. I've been a, a middle school principal. Um, I've worked in, you know, several, um, you know, central office positions where I got to really impact mm-hmm. and 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 have have an impact on both what students are doing and what you know teachers and leaders are doing. Um, so I love the work that I do, and I love the fact that I get to now really take all of that and harness it around the ideas around um, you know issues of equity and diversity and inclusion um, in the education space, but also in terms of how that what that looks like, right, um, and how you create the conditions for students to be successful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Velda. So we're gonna um, we're gonna jump right into our conversation. Um, for the folks who who have been joining us, you know that this series is all about identity, right? We've been talking a lot about identity. We've been talking about um, power. We've been talking about obviously those social norms and messaging that we have internalized. Question for you, Valda, before we jump into um, the focus on the angry black woman. But if you could just share. 
from your perspective and your experience, how have your intersecting or um, compounded group identities really influenced how you see yourself? Um, and how, if at all, has it um, manifested into forms of internalized oppression? So that's a really amazing question. And I've been giving it some thought because I really feel like one of the things, so I just turned 50 this year and, um, <laughs> and, and that's big. I, it was, it's very big, but it's not, it's not so much the number that I've, I'm focused on. It's so it's much more like looking at my own evolution and looking mm -hmm. at like the things that I will and will not accept at 50. And so I'm, I, you can't see me cause we're on a podcast, but I'm a dark skinned black woman. Um, and I, you know, I, I think back to how even that's been an additional challenge where, you know, where people will say things like, like, you know, you're pretty for a dark skinned woman, right? And that kind of thing. I heard mm -hmm. it a lot as a child. And I, I, and it's funny because at 50, I think, sit back and I think about all the things that were fed into me, right? Things that were poured into me, good and bad, um, and how they influence the way that I operate in the world now. And so because I'm a dark skinned woman, because I have to be cognizant of the fact that I'm seen as such, you know, what that means to, to pe people both inside and outside of my own own race um that's very much a part of my identity i think also i look at the fact that you know we're, we were told messages growing up right i know myself i'm youngest of you know six five girls one boy right my mother would always tell the girls it was necessary for us to work harder right mm -hmm. and to do more um and so i look now and i say okay so over the course of these all the years the years that i've been told these different things about you know what standards of beauty are in terms of my attractiveness as being darker skinned and you know being told that i have to work harder i i, I really feel like i had been, i had internalized this belief that you know because i was darker and because i was female um, a, a black female that I had to always work harder, do more to be accepted. And I'm just now at the point in my life where I'm like, you know what? No, <laughs> right? Like I don't have to do more, work harder or be seen as less than um, in the eyes of, you know, peers and colleagues. Um, and so I've really had to like kind of undo a lot of the beliefs that I had, that I knew I was walking around with for so many years. Um, and so it's, it's been really important for me as I think about, you know, the age that I'm at now, um, how do I, you know, how do I undo some of the stuff that has been done, right? And how do I undo when those things are showing up in the way that I um, engage with others, right? When I make myself smaller, right, to accommodate other people. When I, you know, when I try to try to try to not be seen as, try to not, you know, um, you know, not draw attention to myself. I guess in some ways, like all those different things, like all those behaviors are things that they're because of you know, a worry, right, about, you know, how, how we're seen. And so I do feel like all those group identities kind of, kind of influenced how I saw myself, not necessarily in a positive way. And so I'm shifting that, like, it's, it's an, it's an intentional decision all the time to shift that. Because I'm now I'm an older black woman, you know, operating in a world that I don't have to do that in, you know. Mm -hmm. It's so, so I was reading a post. Um, and I think I even mentioned it in this one, that just even, you know, just the feeling associated with, the stress associated with uh, having to be on guard, mm -hmm. having to sort of, for lack of a better term, like police your own emotions because we're centering how others may sort of be impacted or interpreted in ways that to some extent become unreasonable, right? Has this um, even like health, like health implications, like specifically for black women. And I was trying to find the term while you were speaking, um, um, and I may be pronouncing it pronouncing it wrong, but there's this term called like allostatic or allostatic load. Mm. I read it in a post and the writer was pretty much saying that um, 
it's a it's sort of like this stressed response where we are always trying to and she was specifically talking about the experiences of black women trying to prepare for or like adapt to like what people think what people say how am I going to be interpreted that Mm -hmm. essentially starts to impact things like heart and your blood pressure and can be attributed to a lot of what is um more prevalent some of these some of these health um, some of these health conditions more prevalent in black women. And so it's not mm-hmm. even like a thing where it's like, oh, um, you know, I'm doing this and uh, it's just a way to survive. Hey, I'm doing this thinking I need to do it to survive. And also essentially it's to the detriment of like who I am, my body, not just who I am, but also my body. And yeah. it's a lot. And it's I a know, lot. It, it diminishes the quality of life for us. And, and I think that people don't necessarily always make those connections to the health concerns with how mm-hmm. we carry around, you know, how we carry just generational traumas, right? Mm-hmm. And so ha- that does have an effect on not just your chakra, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. like your physical self. Oh, yeah. You know, I was having a conversation recently ab- about even just like, so my, my choice of doctors, I choose doctors of color. And I'm noticing mm-hmm. now that, that now that there are even networks that allow people of color to choose doctors of color, because there's, there's, there's research that tells us that we're not going to be heard or taken as seriously. Our pain is not going to be managed in the same way as women of color. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that, that alone is a reason to be angry, mm-hmm. right? Hello. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, seriously, like, I can't even, I can't even count on getting the same quality of care. I have to be seen as, as different and unique in a very negative way by even physicians. And so I made a conscious decision many years ago that I was going to always make sure that I, you know, where I could, where, where possible, I was going to see doctors of color, be, just because particularly f- females of color, as it relates to both therapists and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, medical doctors, because, you know, are we, we do, we have, we have to, we have to consider the fact that we're not going to be heard or seen in the same way, you know, by other doctors and have our treat, have our, our ailments treated, you know, with, with equity. I mean, so it, it mm. permeates down to everything. We're policed in so many ways, right. In terms of being in the workplace and, and making others comfortable and being acceptable, you know, hairs being policed and all those different things. And then even mm. our medical care. I mean, so if you, if you want to ask, you know, ask, well, gosh, why are, why are y'all so angry? there you go. <laughs> right. You know, I recently, so I just came out of, out of came out of wearing braids for the better part of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's been, there were so many occasions where I would be worried about it being seen as unprofessional. Like it was my own thing. Right. Nobody said it to me, mm-hmm. but like, depending on the audience, I was like, Oh, you know, what should I, let me put these braids in a bun, you know, so mm-hmm. that they're not, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and, and always having to have that concern, like that, that is, I don't know too many people, you know, other than black women that have to worry about how their hair is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. interpreted. Um, so it's just all of those things that, that just make it really, um, you know, difficult. Like, I don't think, you know, I was in a, ses- a, a setting not that long ago where, you know, we we're just talking about, um, you know, what it's like to kind of have to monitor yourself. Um, and many of the white women in the room obviously said that it wasn't something they had to think about every single day. They didn't have to think about how they were being interpreted, right? Um, you know, and, and they more so couched it in the fact that they were just women, right? And so that that whole idea mm-hmm. of, you know, but but I think that there's a whole other layer that goes with being a black woman um, in the work setting in society that that I think you know a lot of people don't recognize. I think I think other women you know, even when they want to be great feminists, don't recognize that the plight of the black woman is very different than that of a white woman. So it's so, um, you hit so much to say that. And so for the folks who have not read it, um, 
And for the folks who have read the post, like I actually kicked it off with Malcolm X's quote, right? And so the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. This is from like 1962. Mm -hmm. And, um, the whole, uh, whether it's, you you called it, whether it's in the workplace, pay equity, whether it's the stuff that we just deal with intra-community, right? I think I think about just conversations around, um, you know, uh, misogyny and just sexism, intra-community. You're right, we have so much to be angry about. Um, you talk about the differences across race um, and the, dif the differences in how white women perhaps experience being able to express their emotions and it's funny because someone actually commented on the post I can't remember if it was on the post or on LinkedIn and it was a white woman and she said I don't think what you just shared is anything different from what I experienced as a woman wow. and I thought that was so interesting because even in um, the examples that I chose and even when I think about my experiences in the workplace I have been most on guard around not being perceived as, you know, internalizing the black woman uh, archetype with white women, right? You know what I mean? I'm like, mm -hmm. there, like that has been something that I've always, um, that has always been top of mind. I don't want to kind of come off as too aggressive. I don't know that I've had these experiences as much with um, um, uh, white men. I think that has a lot to do with my exposure, you know, perhaps not being managed by, um, I, I came up in human resources, right, which is heavy, heavily dominated with uh -huh. women, specifically white women, and perhaps you have a, a similar experience coming in education. Uh -huh. But that has been the community that I have struggled with um, managing, reconciling that dynamic with the most. And to, to see that as a, a comment, I was like, wow, there is such a gap there, just like a gap there in understanding. Yeah, and it's that whole oppression Olympics, right? It's like, I'm just as oppressed as you are, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I think people need to really be careful of that and recognize that, you, for, you know, we can't just, you know, piggyback other people's oppressions, number one, but but you can't speak to an experience you don't have. And so mm -hmm. say that, right? Say that, that you know, I, I don't have an understanding of what it's like to be a black a black woman, but I, you know, um, but as a white female, here's here's what I've experienced. I get that. That's, that's total, that makes sense, right? Let's have the dialogue. But to to you know to kind of equate them as as the same is I think really just a mistake and I think people need to be a little bit more open minded to understanding the experiences of others right yeah and that's one of the things so in the in the very first episode of the series we talk about um, or we talked about rather um, how our own privilege can be a veil right and mm. so um, one of the things that we know to be true when we think about the just history associated with feminist movements or even like the history associated with uh, relationships between black women, white women, oftentimes there has been um, a struggle associated with their white women, perhaps undermining the experiences of black women because of that privilege, that veil of white privilege, right? Or assumption mm -hmm. of sort of sameness because we are connected by, the gen by, by, by our gender. Um, yeah. And so in as much as, and it's funny, um, um, and this just made me think of something else. So we were facilitating a session at uh, uh, the forum, maybe like three years ago, and it was on like race and workplace trauma. And there was a, a white woman in the, um, uh, there was a white woman who considered herself an ally. And she was just really emotionally like 
uh, aroused by the conversation and such, da 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 So she started crying. Um, she started crying. I can't remember why. It just it was kind of just like, yo, this is sad. I don't want to think about this. It was that kind of thing. Like, this is sad. Mm-hmm. I really, it just sucks that it has to be this way. And I remember a, a, a woman of color. I cannot remember if she was, um, if she identified as black, but she was a brown skin woman of color, stood up and said, you know what? The fact that you can cry and just be in your emotions mm. and be comfortable with being in your emotions makes me feel in some kind of way, essentially. She said that, that like the fact that you can just be, you don't understand how much of a privilege it is for you to be in this room and cry and everyone's mm-hmm. being intentional on you and, and you're not irate, you're not um, being irrational. Like people are actually centering you and your perspective now. She said, I don't know what that feels like. She mm. said, you know, she said, I don't know what that feels like. And I thought that was just such a powerful moment just to sit in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it gets to like, yeah, I, I think there are some, you know, commonalities associated with our, or uh, uh, our ability to be, or to privilege being like emotionally expressive as women, right? Perhaps that's perhaps something we share, but um, to also be able to recognize that in our social system, it is interpreted very differently, right? And um, environments, um, narratives and such don't always hold space for it to be even enacted on in the same way without that interpretation. Anyway, it made me think of that moment. And I think that that is, um, that's essentially what I was getting at in the post. Like, wow, like at what point, um, and that's where we get to the reconciliation piece. And I want your thoughts on that. Like, how do we reconcile that? I mean, you're, you just said, you know, at 50, you're like, you know what, it is what it is. I'm going to be with my emotions. Like, what advice do you have for like, I mean, I'm 30, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I was, I was sharing with Valda, and Valda in an earlier conversation that I just spoke with a friend who's of similar age. She's still trying to figure out like, you know, she doesn't work for a black owned firm. She doesn't have a boss like I have. She's trying to figure out like, how do I freaking thrive? Like, you know what I mean? Um, because I don't I, necessarily feel like I can be like, oh, take me as I am, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, we guys definitely have to find balance. I mean, I I feel like I, even now, and you know, I I don't necessarily have a boss. <laughs> excuse me. And you know, I so even when I work for myself, right, I still feel like as a consultant, there's still parts of me that I feel like I have to um, not be apologetic for, but of course, you know, present myself in a certain way. And so, so there's that balance of of saying, you know, here's here's what here's what I'm willing to do, right? So I'm willing to allow for people to get to know me. Um, and not just see me as a black woman. Once mm-hmm. you recognize, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like not just like the, all those stereotypical tropes, right? I don't want to play mm-hmm. into those either, mm-hmm. but I also want people to recognize that, you know, I'm more than just, uh, you know, the monolithic interpretation of what we see as black women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to be clear, like, like I remember, like, I recently actually said for the first time in a group setting, because um, we were talking about just what it, what what anti racism looks like versus being mm-hmm. non racist, and I you know and so I I I kind of did a pause and then I said to a person in the room who was really dominating the space and the air as a white male, and I articulated that to him in mixed mm-hmm. company, and I mm-hmm. and and like I I came away from there thinking like God, that was like a really that was that was a moment for me that I was mm-hmm. like you know what I'm. I'm okay saying to this white person, what you're doing now is perpetuating white supremacy culture, mm-hmm. right? By questioning, yeah. by questioning how much time this is going to take, right? Your your time is at my time is as valuable as your time and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, in the context of what we were talking about, it, it was a great moment to check somebody, 
I don't, I don't know that 30 year old me would have done it. Right. And I think that that's where I say, like, I, I know I've had to come into un, an understanding of what's acceptable because 50 year old me would, could, could say that. And I said it. And even then, right. Even was like, Oh shoot. Keep it real goes wrong. Right. right. <laughs> what, what, have I, what have I just done? Right? <laughs> and it was right. fine. <laughs> it, was, it, it turned out to be fine. And the person was very much like, you yeah. know what, you're absolutely right. Cause we were having a conversation about like, you know, how, how some of this, how people experience you versus how you experience them. Right. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's, it's a big part of it is just saying, okay, where, where's their balance? Where can I, you know, as, as a, a black female in, you know, corporate America, wherever it is that, that, you know, where the settings that we're in, how can we maintain a sense of self, right? Um, and not, and not over accommodate, right? And not make ourselves mm-hmm. smaller and not, and not, you know, not, again, make other people more comfortable. My job is not to make anybody comfortable, right? I feel like, I feel like we, you know, we were told that even by my mother, mm-hmm. our own mothers mm-hmm. were telling us, you know, fly yeah. below the radar. You know, people people say things like, oh, dress like that till you get the job, then you can change it to your own stuff, right? <laughs> like all the things that we do to make others comfortable. And I feel like, yes, obviously some of those things are social norms. Some of those things are what we have to do in the workplace. What I think that we have to also get comfortable with is, is, calling it out when we see it right and and you know it may be seen as the playing the race card kind of thing i think that's i think there's power in how you do it right mm-hmm. um but i feel like we i feel like we have the tools many of us who are practitioners in this field you know we have the language we should be able to engage people in these kinds of conversations so they don't walk away feeling threatened or maligned but instead feel like i've now i have a better understanding like how do you help people develop empathy around you know, races other than their own, unless you're able to have a conversation with them about what their experience is like. And so I use like a lot of key phrases, like, you know, even when I do presentations and stuff, or even if I'm in, you know, mixed company and, and, and the issue of race or something comes up that is an opportunity for me to call it out. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, and I, I, I do this whole thing where I ask permission and I say things mm. like, you know, I say like, can I provide you with another perspective? Right. And if a person says yes, and then I say, well, here's how here's how that might be interpreted by a person of color or a person mm-hmm. who's never been to this country. Like right. Mm-hmm. And, and so just in doing that, I found that that's given me so many more um, entrees into the conversation, into the dialogue with people who need to have the conversation. And so by saying, you know, might I provide you with another perspective? Right. Um, or, you know, here's you know, here, here's something else. I want, here's something else. I hear you. Right. But I want to give to something else to think about. I think that just are adding those kind of phrases to my my repertoire of getting ready to let you know something has been helpful because you because you you take down the defense right and a person has to respond yes or no I want to engage in this conversation and they're willing to engage in the conversation then they need to hear it you know and so that's when I might say to somebody you know here's the difference between the perspective of a you know a, a black female in corporate America and that of the, you know a white female's experience here's how they differ, here's, here's what my experience has been, et cetera, et cetera, so that people can at least listen and hear that there are perspectives and experiences that are different than their own, right? Getting people to understand other people's lived experiences, I think, is the, is the best way to kind of counteract some of the, you know, the stereotypes and what people believe because they don't have any information that's firsthand that they can use, you know? Mm-hmm. And free yourself, like agency. So that's what I thought of mm-hmm. when you said in that moment, you chose to um, at the workshop uh, share, or even in the moment where you're using or asking permission, right? You're, you're, it's one of the, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's enacting agency. That's what I, 
I gathered from that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I noticed is obviously because we're so like entrenched in, like connected to a really close proximity to like this work and like these tools, that there is a gap, right? Like there is a, a gap in, I don't necessarily say accessibility, but it's not always top of mind. Um, or even maybe accessible to everyone, right? And so I've been thinking about, so there's a model, you know, the DNA model out there, right? Mm-hmm. I yep. offer to her, right? I offer to her like a, a kind of like an adaptive version of that. So for the folks who are not aware, we have this model that we use to differentiate interpretation and actual like describing behaviors. And in her situation, the person did say, you know what? I feel like you're always angry or pulling the race card. Um, And so I asked her, you know, this is over. Um, She's no longer with this. But I said, perhaps in the future, and one of the things that I've become more comfortable with is really clarifying the, um, what led them to that interpretation. And so would you mind explaining to me, or may I ask, like, what behaviors, or can you point to the specific behaviors or what you observed that led you to that, right? Um, Because that is something you know, you're angry, you're pulling the race. That's such a subjective thing, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and data would show, I'm pretty sure there are studies that show that even how feedback is given, if it's not done in like a closely confident way, can perpetuate a lot of these stereotypes, right? Um, and how it's delivered more often than not can be subjective if one is not culturally competent. And so if there is a a cultural, if there are cultural differences there, if I'm not asking the question or even comfortable like asserting agency to clarify, I'm kind of like just um, sort of just left to sit with with how others have either characterized me, um, stereotyped me um, without enacting on that agency. And so that's what I thought about when you said that. And even just having the tools, like I don't, to be honest, honest, before I started like consulting, I don't think that I even you know like it just wasn't time I don't know like I, I would get hit with a microaggression and just be like oh that felt weird and that's it you know what I mean just kind of leave mm-hmm. it there I don't even know what to say because it feels so weird and like I don't want to be angry you know that kind of thing and so I, I it makes me think about how there's even an opportunity for us as like consultants to um even you know recenter our work and so we obviously do a lot for predominantly, you know, we talk about leaders, predominantly white audiences on bridging mm-hmm. and behaviors. But what does it look like to center education around the experiences of people who have been, you know, who hold marginalized identity? You know, black women, right? These are some tools where you can um, sort of assert your agency and how you respond to these things, how you can model and practice authenticity and thrive in whatever space you choose to, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's in a, you know, system, whether it's in a corporate America, what have you. I just think there's a really, really big gap there. It is. And I think that one of the things that we have to do, well, first of all, isn't it a shame that we have to kind of figure out those tools? And, and yes, you know that's I mean? so oh, like, like, dang, look, there goes the right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so messy. Yeah. It's, it's both. Uh, yeah. It's so, it's so messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I think, I think the other thing is too, is like, I, I think we would love to, as women, right? As women, we would love to have camaraderie with and be this like great force, all yeah. women, right? All women, right? Black women, white women. And the fact that there still has to be this distinction that that's made for us, yeah. um, you know, I think that's the part that we have to kind of navigate. We have to like work work around it. I think I think that, you know, the I think women are ready though. I think I think most women 
you know, when you think about um, statistically, like how many women, black women have gone into business for themselves mm-hmm. just, just mm-hmm. In, the, in the past couple of years, like the, the data is staggering. And they're saying like, you know, the number of, of um, women owned businesses, you know, increased exponentially, right. And black women in particular, I think that we're, we're definitely practicing our practicing using our agency um, and being very independent. Um, and, you know, and we've, and I think that you're, you're seeing more and more of us no longer giving away our responsibility in our agency. And I think that that's a big piece of it is how do we, you know, help other women of color embrace it, right. Embrace it and, mm-hmm. and, and use it and not give away our agency to our employers and, you know, um, you know, to people who we work with, you know, um, our partners, I think that we've, you know, we've traditionally done that. And so I think that there's mm-hmm. this work, for, this, it's just for us to really think about what is it, what does it look like to, you know, stop doing that, right? To stop spending time um, making other people comfortable, like having value for our, you know, who we are and what we bring. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's, that's a big piece of it. A big piece of it is recognizing that, you know, there's something to, you know, when you think about things like, you know, black girl magic and all these different mm-hmm. things that, that have come up, like the natural hair movement, people have pick, are picking up on the fact that black women are pretty unique, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of positive ways. So I would say that we're, we are kind of societally counteracting that, that narrative of the angry black woman. Um, and I think that because of that, because of the progress that we've made, it's probably why so many women are so careful not to, you know what I'm saying, perpetuate that. Um, or, and I think the other thing is too, like even when we're not being angry and we're seen as such, do we have to own that, right? Do we have to, do we have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I think that's where I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I'm not gonna own what other people's interpretations are because mm-hmm. that's on them, right? And if they don't, if they don't have the wherewithal or the intellectual curiosity to learn more about black women and not see us as a monolith, that's on them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking about, um, I was so I have obviously like I have the benefit of like talking to like all of y'all and so it just it's crazy because I was thinking about the conversation with Mary Francis and so she did a post and she's you know she talked about how even as an entrepreneur and, and you even alluded to it not having a boss like this is just a, a thing you know this continues to be um, a thing and a lot of it or sort of reconciling it overcoming it what have you also has a lot to do with you just identifying outlets, right? Um, and so in as much as perhaps, you know, these systems, broader social norms won't change overnight, I do think that there is opportunity for us to figure out ways in which we can pour back into ourselves. Um, no, I'm not going to own what people are interpreting. Um, and I have like my own space, my own um, perhaps things that I engage in to sort of ensure that I'm whole enough to even like, this is not coming into like my force field. And so I wonder about it from your perspective, like what are some things, like, right? What are some ways that you haven't gotten to the point where you are um, in your career and in this point in your life that you do to just kind of stay whole and like just affirm yourself? And I think about obviously you being a mom too, like what are some ways that you ensure, you know, your daughter experiences that as well? Yeah, I think a big part of it is refusing to be responsible for other people's feelings, <laughs> um, which I think it takes a long time for us to get there. Mm-hmm. So, because because you know we're we're like I said we're we're raised to consider what other people are thinking of us, um, and so I think that, that's a big. I will say that even with my daughter, she is one of the people that is so unique in terms of her fashion choices and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the times that I've said to her, 
hey, can you tone down this look? And she says, like, she's very clear about like, why? To make to make other people more comfortable, right? And she's like, I'm not doing that. Um, and I don't know where she got that from because it took me 50 years to get to that place. <laughs> she, and she's all of 20 and she's there. She's so like, hopefully no, she'll, yep. Yeah, hopefully she'll keep that. She'll maintain that. It'll probably serve her well. I don't think that I had that being poured into me or that freedom and flexibility to, you know, to be my own person. Um, I don't know. That, I don't know that we got that. But um, I do feel like, you know, a big part of it, too, is I think that women, like I think about myself, you know, being in the workplace and, and often even worrying about imposter syndrome, right? Mm. And, and and thinking like, maybe I don't deserve to be in this space and, you know, and, and or they see me as some kind of an anomaly. So let me not, mm. you know, let me not, um, you know, mess that up. And so that's a lot, that's where a lot of it, you know, where we, where we start to make ourselves smaller and try not to be seen and try not to be seen as angry. You know, I, I remember being in meetings like with, um, you know, black colleagues who are in the same room in, in a mixed setting and um, a girlfriend of mine would text me across the room, fix your face, <laughs> right? <laughs> because, you know, my face was like, what on earth is this person talking about, <laughs> right? And and that we have to have an accountability partner in the room that says fix your face, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so like, why why is that even the case that we have to have that where we you have somebody that's going to say to you, oh, you might, what you're doing that might be interpreted as, you know, mean or, you know, angry and that kind of thing. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's just finding that balance and mm-hmm. being self-aware, but also knowing our worth, right? Knowing that you know, so what if we've got natural hair, we've got braids, or you know, what I'm saying, or we we show emotion that doesn't negate all the things that we, you know, all the things that are good, beautiful, and positive about us. And I think that you know, we we have to remember that first if we, we want to convince others not to, you know, consider us stereotypes. So I think a big part of it is, is again, knowing, knowing, knowing our worth, knowing that, you know, we shouldn't have to, or we shouldn't feel like we've got to, um, you know, temper ourselves. Now I'm not saying go be angry and yeah. scream and yell and carry on. Right. But I think that being, being okay with, you know, articulating what our concerns are and not having to feel like we're, you know, oh, it's going to be to our detriment. It took me, like I said, it took me a long time to do that. In my thirties and early forties, I was, um, my late thirties and early forties, I was um, principal of a middle school and I was the only person of color in the whole Dagon building. And I remember always feeling like I had to make everybody else comfortable with the fact that I was black and that I, you know, and, and having to be really careful that they didn't think I was only advocating for children of color and all these different things. It was constant, mm. constant tip, tiptoeing around my blackness. And it was nothing but frustrating. And I, and honestly, I think it made me sick. I literally had like all kinds of gastrointestinal problems mm. back then and you know had an ulcer and that kind of thing and I think back to and that was why I was in yeah. a constant state of stress you know my blackness was constantly an issue me being a black woman not being able to show emotion not being able to show you know care and concern for those children that look like me for fear of being seen as you know what I'm saying having an agenda all that stuff is just who wants to live like that right and so I think that that's a big part of what's made me now look at it and say no you know I'm not going to do that I'm going to, if, if it's the right thing, right. If, 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 if what I'm advocating for is good for kids in general, but somebody sees that as I'm the only advocating for children of color, that's on them. Mm. Right. And I think that's what we have to start understanding more that some of these things, people's interpretations of our behaviors, that's on them. That is so, that is, that's on them. So, um, one of my professors, I remember I was venting to her, um, once about the, about, um, I had an interaction with um, someone and 
it was like, so it was, it was a white woman and I felt bad. You know what I mean? Like I'm venting and I'm like to her and saying, I'm, I'm feeling really bad. Like, what should I say? Like, da, 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 da. And based on her interpretation of, based on what I shared with her, obviously through my life experience, her advice to me was like, Brittany, um, that it, she has her own work. That's what she said. She has mm-hmm. her own work. She is not your work. Um, that is not your work. And it was kind of like, you know, pretty much saying like that's on them. But um, her point was everything that you articulated here um, is, a, is has a lot to do or more to do with you internalizing what you think they think about you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What you think they, and even, you know, in that situation definitely owned what was, um, you know, the intent and impact on my end. She recognized that I was internalizing, internalizing, internalizing. You know, I'm emotional about it. And to hear her say, like, that is not your worth. And it, and it like, rings in my head. Anytime I met with a situation where um, I catch myself sort of overthinking, compromising my feelings, sort of undermining the validity of how I feel, what I'm thinking in, in an interaction, I'm always going back to that. Like, is this my work? You know, perhaps mm-hmm. they have their own work that is outside of my sphere of influence right now. And so the more and more I beat myself up, the more and more I'm doing a disservice to myself, right? And so just to like, to your point, just sit with that and recognize that in any given interaction, there's obviously your perspective, your behaviors, how others are gonna interpret that. And there's in, you know, just by nature of you throwing differences, it's gonna get messy, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's always gonna be your work. It's not for you to analyze, it's not for you to fix not for you to hold to the detriment of yourself it is not your work so I love it and it just made me um it made me uh think about that there was something else you said where I was like ding 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 we need to make sure we put that in the uh in the description because that's a really good takeaway shoot I should have wrote it down um I don't know what I said but I was just thinking just now (laughs) I was just thinking just now about boundaries too I mean oh yes okay so we have to like we I think we have to we have to be willing to put up to protect ourselves in that way and to have boundaries, right? Um, and 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 to kind of trust ourselves um, and not allow us to be, you know, like like you were influenced by what somebody else was thinking. Like like you should have you should have boundaries. Like we should have boundaries. We should have, um, you know, certain things that trusting ourselves enough to know that you know here's here's my line in the sand. Um, and and being being comfortable communicating that and being comfortable living in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Boundaries. That takes, that takes, yeah, that takes Boundaries. time. Though. Mm-hmm. Boundaries, knowing your work. Um, that's on them. Oh, that's what it was. You were talking about the uh, the person in the in the room with you who was, you know, kind of like your accountability partner, like uh, you know, fix your face. I was uh-huh. also thinking about how important it is to just just have like just have community. You know what I mean? And so when I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday, um, well not yesterday, but um. Uh, a few days ago about this, you know, what she was going through in the workplace. Um, we talked about how just in that moment, us being able or she being able to talk about what was going on and vent and do so and be validated and heard, like felt like something good. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that certainly doesn't necessarily change her situation, the people who she works with or, you know, um, but to just have that community and space right? Like that's a tactic, right? That in and of itself, but your community ain't, you know, isn't going to always be the people you work with. And, you know, certainly everybody can't, or maybe everyone doesn't, or uh, have the privilege to like, you know, start their own businesses, um, you know, leave some of these unfortunately 
you know, toxic or homogenous environments. But being able to find community where you can and leveraging it to just like affirm and validate your feelings and experience yourself, I think is a big part of it too. Like, hey, this yeah. is a real thing that I'm experiencing and others are too. And it's okay how I'm feeling, all of it. Absolutely. All right. So, oh, wow. Look, I, y'all told Valda we were aiming for like <laughs> 30 minutes. I just looked at the recording and we are like at 45. This Here we good. are. This is this is good. Valda, before we wrap up, any kind of mm-hmm. like takeaways, thoughts on the topic that you want to part with um, or have folks part with? Yeah, I, I just want people, especially if they're not Black women, to understand this concept of where this where this idea even came from about angry Black women, um, and to maybe revisit that narrative in their heads. Like, you know, if you if you look at historically the impact of Black women, our our positive impact on society, I think that people would recognize that for every bit of anger, there's also passion. There's there's you know what I'm saying there's hard work, there's work ethic. There's so much has gone into you know into the journey of, of black women. And so, um, you know, we're mothers, we're fighters. And you look, you look at the numbers from the last last election, if you disaggregate that data, you, you see who came through. Black and women so, come through. Exactly, right? <laughs> and so I just feel like, I, I feel like if nothing else, if people, if people walk away with nothing else from the conversation, they they also, you know, if they, if they bought into the narrative of angry black women, they also need to buy into the narrative of how positive and how influential mm. black, women, black women are and can continue to be. Um, and so I would just um, charge people to really rethink when they when they look at, you know, this idea of the race card and angry and blah, 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 that they ask themselves why that is. Right. And then what they can do as an individual to help mitigate that. Mm, that's a uh, takeaway reading for folks. Audre Lorde um, wrote a speech, I guess, like in the 1980s, where she pretty much chronicles how black women have channeled anger to dismantle racism and to seek justice and to bring about change and all of that. So that's a takeaway reading. Um, Folks, you also know that we have the reflection guide out there. Certainly we believe that you just don't learn from listening and experiencing. You learn from reflecting on what you heard and what you experienced. So wintersgroup.com, we've got the reflection guide that accompanies the um, Demystifying Internalized Oppression series. Think about what we talked about. Think about the extent to which it resonated. Perhaps it didn't. The ways in which your identities influence how people interpret you and how you perhaps even reconcile or reframe those narratives for yourself. It has been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you all for listening. Of course, we end all of our sessions and the podcast is no different with our commitment to live inclusively. Um, I'm going to read that off right quick and then we are going to go. I commit to be intentional and living inclusively. I commit to spending more time getting to know myself and understanding my culture. It is in understanding myself that I am better positioned to understand others. I will acknowledge that I don't know what I don't know, but I will not use what is unconscious as an excuse. I will be intentional in exposing myself to difference. If I don't know, I will ask. If I am asked, I will assume positive intent. Most importantly, I will accept my responsibility in increasing my own knowledge and understanding. I commit to speaking up and speaking out even when I am not directly impacted for there is no such thing as neutrality in the quest for equity, justice, and inclusion. I will strive to accept and not just tolerate respect even if I don't agree and be curious, not judgmental. I commit to pausing and listening. I will be empathetic to the experiences and perspectives of my others. I will use my privilege positively 
and get comfortable with my own discomfort. I commit to knowing, getting, and doing better than I did yesterday. Keeping in mind my commitment to live inclusively is a journey, not a destination. It's been wonderful. Valda, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. So much. And folks, we will catch you next time. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you.